Thank you for listening to My Best Living Pod. We are currently accepting applications for advertisement and sponsorships. You can reach us at My Best Living Pod or My Best Living Pod at gmail.com. Thank you. Welcome to another episode of My Best 11 podcast. Today we are joined by a fan of what I believe, remarkably, the greatest club to ever be formed in the world, Barna. So, um, probably I would say the most well-known fan um, of Luton Town um, Football Club, especially back in the UK. And um, we'll get into a bit more about what he does um, a bit later on, but he has been the figurehead of the revival of Luton um, in terms of the face of it, um, alongside Gary Sweet. So we are very lucky to have on today a TV presenter, um, a radio host, and somebody who, up until now, he's also been credited with being on James Bond, I saw earlier as well. Um, So uh, we have Nick Owen on. How are you, Nick? Yeah, hello, Andrew. Yeah, I'm very well, thank you. Delighted to be doing this. But it's a very difficult job, I tell you, picking your best 11. Yeah, it's something which a lot of our fans have found. Um, I'll probably, I'll maybe say it'd be easier probably for fans because um, they don't, they can't offend anybody. But I suppose with you having so much close contact with the players even today, um, are you a bit worried about offending anybody who you've left out? I mean, Marv, I assume, isn't oh, in the team. Oh, stop, um, Andrew. I'm not even... <laughs> if, I, if, I get, if I get in Nick's 11 right, there's some conspiracy going on. It's an absolute joke if I get in his 11. And I'm not having I wouldn't that. Want, I wouldn't want to embarrass you, Marvin, so I've kept you out of it. Thank you. Thank you, Nick. You, hello, anyway, Nick. Violet. And yes, Marv, how are you? Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm great. I mean, I'm really excited to um, hear about Nick's 11 because, I mean, he's one of our most famous supporters in my eyes. I mean, I watched him on TV in the Good Morning and Nick and stuff like that. And I, I was a little bit in awe when I met him, apparently, because obviously, um, like I said, I, he was on the TV. And I mean, I'm just literally um, little old Marv who plays for Luton. But little did I know that Nick was a big Luton fan and I was a, a big fan of the club. Ah, excellent. So I'm sure we'll get into some stories as we go on and how you met and the first time were your knees trembling, Marv. We'll get into that a bit later. But um, <laughs> So for those people who haven't listened to the podcast before, we may have some new listeners. Um, what we do is we go through um, Nick's best 11 team. Uh, we start off with the formation and then we finish off with the manager, the person who thinks is the best manager um, he's seen. And of course, this is down to his own interpretation. So it's down to the way that he has believed that the players may be jealous of as 11 or he may have just picked um, square pegs in round holes and picked the best strikers. So we'll find out in a minute. Um, so formation wise, Nick, um, what do you think the formation or what formation do you prefer to see or what formation do you think Luton have always played best in? Well, that's a good question. I, I mean, I think 4-3-3 is pretty decent these days and I accept that as the one they mostly play really although Luton have used this diamond midfield thing which um, I, you know seems to have worked over the last few years but I'm, I've am i always loved a rigid a sort of flexible 4-2-4 uh, and I know no one would dream of using that these days but the players I've selected because they're all mostly attacking players they've got to fit into a 4-2-4 and I reckon that it'll be very entertaining to watch 
And uh, if we win a game, it'll be something like 6-5, you know, because we haven't got much in the way of defensive midfielders. So I'm picking players that, to me, are really special for one reason or another. And I have a bit, slightly put them in, uh, you know, round pegs and square holes and things. But I, I think it would work. But I, I certainly think it's a very exciting team, just because I love them all. But anyone who's worn a Luton shirt is special to me, and I really mean that. Anyone in the 62 years I've been watching the club, uh, anyone who's pulled on a Luton shirt, including Marvin, very special. Thank you, Nick. Thank you. <laughs> I'm honoured. <laughs> Awesome. So we'll get going then. Let's look. Start off by looking at. Um, um, we'll start off with goalkeeper, and then from there we'll let you run through the team in your in your order. Okay. Well, I mean, the first thing I wanted to do was try and reflect the years I've been watching the club, and try and sort of put in players who represented the club in the very earliest days when I went, and most recently. Um, and the goalkeeper, in a fact, in fact, was quite easy because he was this guy was the goalkeeper when I first started watching Luton Town. And he was a big, big name in football at the time. He, uh, he played for England a few times and he was a real stalwart in goal for Luton Town. And he was one of my very first heroes. I mean, all 11 of the first game I ever went to are heroes because it's such a special moment when you first walk into Kenworth Road. Um, and this guy, I mean, he, I, he's still alive, bless him. And I was absolutely thrilled to meet him about a year or so ago in the Eric Morecambe Lounge at Luton. He's um, 91 now, uh, and he's one of few survivors from the team that uh, played in the FA Cup final in 1959, and I was like a schoolboy meeting him. It was so oh, special. Unbelievable. I didn't uh, even know that. Brilliant. Did he played for England, Nick? He played for England, you said? Yeah, he played three or four times for England, um, and he played something like 388 times for Luton Town FC. So he's a bit special. I mean, Are I'm, you going to get him? No, no, I'm not, gonna, I'm not even going to attempt. I mean, I'm, I'm, a bit, I'm a bit jealous now because, I mean, like you said, he played <laughs> in the cup <laughs> final. And, um, yeah, I, mean, I know. Yeah, well, any, can, I, can I reveal his name? Yeah, yeah, yeah go for it. I mean, yeah, we're, 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 anyone I'm, yeah. of my age, many of my age group and a bit younger, it's Ron Bainham, B-A-Y-N-H-A-M. And as I say, he was in goal from the mid-50s to the early 60s for Luton. And he was all part of, uh, you know, establishing them in uh, the first division, the old first division, top flight, and getting into the FA Cup final in 1959, which they lost, sadly, to Nottingham Forest and really didn't play as well. I was in tears afterwards. I was absolutely inconsolable, aged about sort of 11 or 12, wore my rosettes and badges all day. Didn't get No, I didn't get there. Um, but I watched it second half on telly. I was away at boarding school, so, you know, I, I, I couldn't go. But I, I played cricket that day at school because it was May, you know, so it's the beginning of the summer term. Played cricket, but the he headmaster saw me come into classes that morning with all my badges and rosettes. In those days, you buy little badges with pictures of Luton players on and, and rosettes. And I wore that in school all day. And he said, oh, no, you're a big Luton fan. I said, yeah. He said, well, you can come to my house and watch the second half after cricket. So I watched the second half, by which time we were two down. Um, but we lost 2-1 in the end. Um, and uh, you must have heard that the Nottingham Forest winger, Roy Dwight, broke his leg. Yeah? Does that ring a bell? Yeah. yeah, I, I, yeah, yeah. I, I, I wasn't sure if it, if it was... Him or I thought it was a goalkeeper or someone got hurt or broke. No, Roy Dwight in a collision with our right back, Brendan McNally, um, broke his leg and had to go off. And Brendan McNally actually broke his foot, but he carried on. So it was, you know, officially 11 against 10, but I thought we were 10 and a half because Brendan McNally must have been struggling with a broken foot. Um, and Roy Dwight, of course, is the cousin or uncle of Elton John, whose real name is Reg Dwight. 
Uh, oh. I don't know whether you know all that or not. It's sort of oh, way there's some nice trivia there. Thank you. Yeah, but anyway, um, yeah, Ron Bainham was an absolute hero. I remember I used to buy loads of things and annuals when I was a lad, and I was so jealous in one because there was a great big article about a young lad who won a competition to go to Kenilworth Road and spend the day with Ron Bainham, and there's pictures of him sitting in the dressing room and out on the field and shooting at Ron and all that. I was just so jealous when I was about 10 or 11 years old. Uh, it's funny how you remember things like that so clearly, you know, it's over yeah. 60 years. But yeah, so Ron Bainham was amongst my first absolute heroes and he's still alive <clears throat> one of the very few of that team and i was absolutely thrilled to meet him uh, a couple of years ago and i've got his picture on my phone as well brilliant that's fantastic <laughs> so, so nick so your first ever game at kenilworth road do you what, what who was that do you remember the game who was who were playing <clears throat> luton versus yeah, who? It, it was leeds united luton v leeds in the old top flight uh september the 3rd 1958 roughly <laughs> i think it was proud uh, ooh, yeah, being the teens, you know, 18,000, something like that. Um, I can't remember that exactly. Uh, I just didn't have time to count them because I was watching the game, you know. <clears throat> but um, um, we, we drew one all and just walking into the ground, a professional football ground for the first time is spectacular, whether it's Old Trafford, White Hart Lane, or in our case, Kenilworth Road. It is just jaw-dropping. For me, the grass was so incredibly vibrantly green and the, the goals with nets on you know I mean I didn't play football with nets on in those days so to actually see it all there and of course you didn't see much football on telly the only one game a year on telly was the FA Cup final and right. that was in white so you didn't quite get the feel when you suddenly walked in but, and all the pictures in the papers were all black and white so when you actually walked in for real and saw all the colours it was just stunning and it was such a thrill and it stayed with me to this day. We drew one all. Our goal was scored by uh, Alan Brown, who went on to manage the club in the 60s. But at the time he was our centre forward and he um, scored at the far post at the Oak Road end from across by Jimmy Adam, who crossed roughly from where the tunnel is. Um, I can still see it now and the crowd erupting and me looking around. It's just so exciting. Yeah, so that was my first game and um, well, I started earlier in the year following the club. And do, do you know what sparked my interest? Well, I mean, obviously they're my local club, but um, I liked playing football and things at school as a little boy, but I never got engaged by the professional game. And then the terrible Munich air crash happened, the Manchester United crash yeah. on February the 6th, 1958. And so suddenly professional football, top flight football, big clubs was all the focus. And everyone's saying, oh, gosh, I support Manchester United. Oh, I support Arsenal. And they're all saying these things. And I thought, well, who am I going to support? And I thought, well, my dad goes to Luton every week. I've got to support Luton because they were the local club. It was between Luton and Watford, actually, about equidistant, 13 miles. Ooh, where I stop wearing. Half. Sorry, is that, I'm not allowed. You can bleep that out, can't you? Um, yeah, yeah. And so uh, I started supporting Luton roughly February 1958 and went to my first game in September. And uh, I was hooked before I went and doubly hooked afterwards. And it's never changed. Yeah, I go. Yeah, well, yeah. I call them the yellow team. That team you just mentioned. Uh, I, don't <laughs> like, I, don't like, I don't like their name being said. It's the yellow team. Yeah, well, lots they of my are. friends support them because we were equidistant, you see. Right. Lots of my friends support Luton, but lots of them support Watford as well. Sorry, oh, that yellow team. Just get it again. Oh, my hurts. <laughs> we need a delay on this interview so you can cut it out before I say it. <laughs> <laughs> so whereabouts do you sit then? Did you used to sit? Obviously nowadays you sit in other places. Where, where in that first game you mentioned the Oak Road? Um, I know yeah. everybody has their their stand. I've always preferred the Kenilworth. I don't know why. I've always grown up preferring behind the goal um, rather yeah. than the side. Where where's yours, Nick? 
Well, my first ever game was in the main stand. because I was only little, you see, I was only 10. So standing was out of the question, really. Um, and uh, my father took me, you know, to a seat roughly above where the tunnel is now. But then as I got a bit older, it was the Oak Road for me. I loved going behind the goal on the Oak Road. But when things were really bad, I mean, we're talking now about top flight football. <clears throat> when things got really bad, we plummeted ultimately into the fourth division. I used to go to a game and decide where I was going to be, whether it was in the Bobbers stand standing there or behind the Kenilworth goal, Kenilworth Road goal or the Oak Road goal. But if, you know, I was up behind the Kenilworth Road goal and we were attacking that in the first half, we were allowed to move to go to the other end to watch them attacking the Oak Road goal. Did you know that? No, the hundreds of young lads. We'd walk along the touchline at half time and get into the Oak Road end and watch the game from there. So we, we watched the game from both ends, both ends where we were attacking. Somebody no, wonder you, no wonder you picked a 4 2 4 formation. You've only yeah. had to be well, bothered about, about gold. I've never seen the defence. <laughs> <so. laughs> um, but that, that is true, yeah. So, uh, I, I mean, I've got really, really sort of warm emotional ties to the Oak Road in days gone by because that was just where it, it seemed to me it all happened and all the singing started. I used to love being in the middle of that. Da, 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 da. We're going to win division four. Da, 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 da. Things like that, you know, and uh, give us an L, L, L. Oh, just fantastic days being um, a youngster. And then, you know, when I went to university, I used to travel all over the place. I was at Leeds University. So I used to hitch um, off to obscure places like Hartlepool and Stockport and stuff like that when we were in the fourth division. Those were pretty grim years. I mean, I know we had some very grim years later, but in the mid-60s, by which time, you know, I was sort of able to do my own thing uh, and go to games. I was going to loads of games on my own and then meeting up with Luton fans at places like Notts County or wherever it was. You know? Fantastic. So we digress <laughs> anyway. This is supposed to be our best 11. So let's... Um, <laughs> right. Um, what, so go along to the fence... Um, on the right-hand side, um, who have you got? Yeah, on the right all right hand then. Side? Yeah, the back four now then. Um, and and plus, oh, sorry, Nick, but obviously, yeah. obviously you've been a supporter for quite a while. You can give some honourable mentions to some people if they didn't quite make your team and you thought about yeah. maybe putting I was some... Gonna, I was, yeah, I was going to do sort of big list of potential subs afterwards, people who I nearly picked. But um, anyway, yeah. it'll crop up as it goes along, I agree. Yeah. Well, um, let, let's... Let's talk about right back now, shall we? And again, I, I mentioned earlier that I want to cover the generations and, and going from my very earliest memories to more recent ones. The guy I put at right back is someone who um, is turning into a fantastic in the Premier League. I'm sure you're going to get it yes. immediately. But, um, yeah. I, along with every other Luton fan, are so proud of what he's done. I mean, I think he joined us when he was about eight years old and came through the ranks and stuck with the club when he he could easily have been uh, poached, I would have thought, way through his teens, like so many players did um, over the years. But he stuck with us. And then at the right time, he moved to a Premier League club. And, you know, he's already played for the under-21s England. And there's talking of him playing for uh, England full team yeah. fairly soon. Can't believe he won't. And I'm just so proud that his background is Luton Town. And he clearly thinks a lot of our club. He must do. He's a Luton lad, isn't he? And yes. go on. Who is it, Marv? James Justin. James Justin. Absolutely. I mean, what a player exactly. he's turning. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, he had to establish himself, first of all, in the first team squad at Leicester. But now he does seem to have done that. And I would have thought, because he's so reliable and such a good character, 
besides being a talented footballer, that he must be one of the first names down on the list. And every time I watch Leicester, I have that real glow of pride. He, I, he was fantastic for us in the few years he played in our, our first team as part of, you know, some very successful times. So without question for me, the right back has to be James Justin. Yeah, no, I, think, I, um, I, I agree. Yeah, go on, next. Come on, Andrew. No, sorry, go on. I was, I was going to say, it's James Justin, I think, in terms of, you talk about character. I I liken James Justin's character to somebody who's really got a bit of um, grit, somebody who can drive their way through. Because there was a long time um, when he was out of the team, when he was being kept out. I remember we had Dan Potts at left back and Jane and uh, Stacey at right back. And it was actually unfortunate for Potts um, broke his leg or something, a quite serious injury. And Justin actually made his name almost for Luton at left back because Stacey had the right back slot. So uh, he actually had to sit on the bench for a good part of the season, even though he'd broken through to the first team. Then a newbie came in. So, and then the season later, he got his um, launch. So I I think that it shows his his, um, tenacity. It shows his real work ethic rather than toys out the pram like a lot of young players these Yeah, absolutely. And, but we've had some terrific right-backs. I mean, Tim Breaker was a fantastic player, wasn't he, Marv? Um, yeah. He must have played with him a few times, didn't he? I mean, he yeah. was an excellent, excellent player. And bearing in mind, you know, he was part of the team that got to the League Cup final and won it and so on. He had to have a shout um, to be in my team and could easily on any other day be in. Um, uh, but I think James Justin has the ability to become that little bit more successful and that little bit more gifted but Tim Breaker was terrific and Kirk Stevens uh, I loved him because of his image and his whole psyche you know he was just so passionate see him quite often I'm sure you don't you and he's a great lad he was a great lad and Graham Alexander I mean mean, would be one of my choices because obviously I mean Total, total out and out footballer, which I mean, I love. I mean, I just love obviously um, people who can just play and handle the ball. But just going back to what Andrew was saying with regards James, is that probably in respect of that, it's it wasn't necessarily a case where you, if an you were a quality defender, you came to the team early. If you're more of a quality striker and you're a young lad, you probably got like coming a sub, but it's not, I mean, I wouldn't say it's a risk, but like it's a point of where they can nick you a goal and there's more chance of being an instant hero and someone who could be on the bench quite a bit and maybe even get into the team and have a bit of a run. Whereas as a defender, you have to be, which obviously James is obviously of an outstanding quality, I think, to, to break into a first team quite early, above maybe a little couple of season pros, so to speak, you know? Yeah, I, I get your point, because you could easily, because of lack of experience, make one little slip yeah, and suddenly back. exactly, and it's done. done. Yeah, no, I get that, totally, yeah. Right, do you want my centre-half now? Let's go centre-half. Yep, yep. Yeah, OK. Again, I mean... Marv, the... Marvin sits up a bit prouder in his seat. Here he comes. Yeah. yeah. Did you yeah. notice that, Nick? He sat up a bit... <laughs> Um, yeah, well, the centre half, um, again, you know, could have been quite difficult. Various eras, you know, I mean, for instance, the captain of the Luton side when I first got interested was called Sid Owen. And because his name was Owen, I had a particular interest in him. And he was Footballer of the Year in 1959 with, you know, the uh, Football Writers Association. That's quite something. Um, and, Sorry to uh, interrupt I'll... you there, Nick. Sorry to interrupt you there. Can I have a guess? Is, is he Scottish? Who, the centre half? Yes. No. The oh, one I've chosen? Yes, the, the one, one yes, yes. Yes, oh. no, not Scottish. No. So it's not Bruce Rioch then, okay. Centre half? It would never be centre half, Bruce Rioch. Not midfield. Oh, okay. Yeah. No. Sorry, no. sorry, sorry, sorry. No. Right. Marvin, can I go on now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this this centre half. 
was captain of the club. Inspirational captain. Absolutely amazing. An absolute rock. He played for England as well, three times, I think it was, for England. And um, he played about 163 times, salute to Anne. And he was captain in our finest hour. So yeah. I'm sure this bloke who used to play for Brighton, I think Portsmouth as well, and Aston Villa, I think you probably know who I'm talking about. Bobby! Go on. Yeah, Reveal. Bobby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pete yeah. fantastic player. Um, but, you know, Terry Branston was another who was probably before your time, but he was captain when we started to turn it around again um, after we plummeted from the top flight to the fourth division and we were really in a bad way. And then we started to come back and we won the fourth division in fantastic style. And Terry Branston was a centre-half uh, and captain and he was inspirational as well. It's difficult because, you know, within a team, people can be outstanding within their division, outstanding. But then yeah. you're comparing with someone who's outstanding in the top flight. So it's quite difficult sometimes... Um, I mean, emotionally, I could easily have Terry Branston ahead of Steve Foster. But really, right. in terms of actual player ability, it has to be Steve Foster because he did it at the top flight and and he won us a trophy, a big tro a major trophy, and he yeah. played for England. So Correct. Steve Foster, yeah, absolute rock at the back. Terrific player. And then the, the, the guy alongside him, uh, I mean, I had written down Marvin Johnson, but I, I don't know who he is even. Um <laughs> But no, the, the guy who I have to put, and it's not Maldonado either, who is a terrific oh, player. Oh, that's who I was going to I, think, yeah. I, I yes. think I've got it. I think I've got it. Go on. I'm going to say Butcher. Yes. Yeah. Blimey, that is something else. He was yeah. a phenomenal. Uh, and I'm sure you know the story. That I mean, he was signed for Luton by Harry Haslam, I think it was, early 70s. And he was only a teenager. We bought him from Chester for a hundred grand. Phenomenal amount of money in those days for a club such as ours as well. And no one had heard of him. He had no experience at the top level. Um, you know, so it was quite a gamble. But Harry was convinced, obviously, and the people around him. And 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 part of the deal, as you probably know, is his twin brother Ron Fudge, who came for about twenty-five thousand. So the, the package is one hundred and twenty-five thousand. And these two started to play. Um, midway through this season and we had in the first division, the old first division when we were struggling. And Paul Futcher came in as a teenager and he was absolute class. He really was a revelation. Um, and I thought at the time, and I said this for what it's worth, because I'm pretty young myself, um, that he was the next Bobby Moore because he was so cool, elegant. Right. His timing was unbelievable. His distribution, everything about him was quite exceptional. He was a really wonderful player. And we sold him ultimately to Manchester City for about um, 350,000. Uh, sadly, he had two terrible car crashes and they really did hinder his progress in the game. So who knows how long he would have been successful at Man City and the other players, places he played. Um, he never made the progress or achieved the success his phenomenal ability uh, deserved. And I'm very, very sad to say now he's died age 60. You know, he's no longer with us. But he was an outstanding player and a really exciting player. And his... I'm sorry. Oh, he's gone. Nearly saved us from being relegated after that first season in the division. Uh, so Paul Futcher uh, and happy memories of two of his brother, Ron. I, I particularly want to mention a game in which they played for us against Wolves round about Christmas time, 1974. And we were bottom of the table. Um, and we played Wolves at home. And because I was working in the Midlands even then, as I am now, and I've sort of moved around a bit, and I was pretty close friends of people like John Richards and Steve Kindon, who played for Wolves, and they got me tickets for the game and everything. And Wolves were a good side, and we beat them 3-2. 
Paul Futcher was outstanding. Ron Futcher got a hat trick. It was an amazing day. You know, we started to think, oh, there's a bit of hope here. Um, but anyway, uh, that apart, Paul Futcher has to be my um, my sort of uh, central defender alongside Steve Foster. And I have, and, and that's how I guessed it. Even before my time, how long it was, I heard when I mean, once I, once, I mean, when I joined, like everyone spoke about Paul Futcher. What an outstanding player he was um, mm. for Luton. <laughs> outstanding, literally, they said. Yeah, so I mean. Well. I had, a, I had a, a, quite an easy guess, I felt. Like, if it if it was, you know, you've already named Fozzie, someone who I played alongside and learned so much about mm-hmm. the game from. So, I mean, Futcher was um, an easy choice for me, I think, on hearing yeah. about how good he was. Yeah, yeah. Right, my left back. This, this is really difficult as well, actually. Um, but I picked someone who... Uh, it was a very exciting player. He didn't play in the top flight for us at all. He played right down in the lower reaches, but he was, you know, clearly going places. We signed him from Oxford, I think, when he was a kid. Uh, he had yeah. been rejected by Oxford because they said he was overweight. Is this ringing bells yes. with you, Marvin? And uh, they said exactly. he was a bit overweight. Exactly so we, who this one is? Yes. Yeah, we snapped him up, and I think he made his debut for us. He was only about seventeen, and he was just fantastic pace down the left wing and of course he was you know it was a wing back really not just a left back um and he he was part of the team that won promotion from the bottom uh, division league two in about 2002 ish i say um outstanding player for me very exciting scores some fantastic goals um and ultimately went off to portsmouth who were then on the verge of going to the top flight uh, I think Joe Kinnear, who sold him, said it was daylight robbery or highway robbery. Dick Turpin would have paid more type thing. I think he went for about six or 800000 worth a lot. Oh, yeah. and, had a very- and his name is Matthew. Andrew? Matthew Taylor. Matthew Taylor. Correct. I can't believe overweight. Was he overweight? Yeah, I heard. Yeah, it's quite a well-known story, yeah. yeah. Over- what, tales? Overweight? I mean, <laughs> I'm hoping, hoping, I mean, I've been in... Having a conversation with him, hoping to get him on here is just like because he's working at Spurs at the moment and it's difficult is to he? just get him on. Yeah, he's at Spurs and in the and the academy. And so I'll have to say to him about that. Overweight. He's oh my gosh, he's like that. Sick. I know, but he, he was but the thing is, um, you know, when you're a teenager or early, you do have puppy fan things like that. You do yeah. slim down. People are late developers in so many ways, but he was great for us. Yes. I, do, I do remember at one player awards ceremony, I was standing next to him in the gents. <laughs> I'm desperately trying to persuade him to stay because, you know, he was being talked about going to lots of different clubs. And there we were, minding our own business, looking forward. <laughs> Occasionally looked across to him and said, you've got to stay, Matthew. So you'd love it here. You do so well at Luton. But we, uh, I didn't succeed. <laughs> and the last time I saw him face to face, as it were, in the stand-ups. He's <laughs> 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 a great... I'll tell you someone else who could have been in that side for me, in my side, is Steve Buckley. Is he before your time yeah. as well? I've heard, yeah. Well, yeah, I heard yeah. again, again, another out-and-out footballer. I mean... Yeah, he uh, he's the brother of Alan Buckley. He's very successful as a striker yeah. and a manager in his time. But Steve, Steve came from non-league football then, Burton Albion, then non-league, uh, and uh, he was put into our side about the same time as the two Futchers when, you know, we were uh, all looked lost halfway through the season in the, in the first division. 
And he was a revelation as well. He actually replaced an England player, ex-England player, Bobby Thompson, who was a marvellous footballer as well. He played for us at the end of his career. But he was a, a very, very skillful, lovely touch footballer um, for a fullback somehow. You know, he had the outstanding sort of skills. Um, but Steve Buckley was uh, a bit of a blunderbuss. You know, had a phenomenal left foot. Uh, I can remember a Thunderbolt goal he scored. I think it was Oxford away. But he he was one of the people who came into the team and revolutionised it. And we very nearly stayed up and we could have done, but we didn't. But anyway, he was a terrific player. He went on to Derby County for a lot of money. Uh, I remember Aston Villa were after him for a while because Ron Saunders, the manager then, used to ring me for advice about Steve Buckley and said, how good is he? You know, and tell me, you know, what do I say? I don't want to lose him. But on the other hand, I don't want to diss him. So I say yeah. a very good player, Ron, but, you know, still probably needs a bit more time. <laughs> but in the end, <laughs> So that's my back four, anyway. You go along Fantastic. with that, Justin Foster, Butcher and Taylor. Is that all right? Oh, yeah. nice, ma- nice amount of attacking, nice amount of old-school yeah. defending as well, I think, in there. So it's really yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah, I mean... And, it, and as uh, you said, mixed generation. What we'll do is actually, Mick, what we'll do is, Nick, we'll just pause for a second and then we'll go to an ad break. And then when we come back from an ad, we'll hear about your your two midfielders and four attackers. So we'll back after this uh, very short break um, to hear a little bit more about Nick Owens, my best 11. Thanks for listening. If you haven't already, you can subscribe at my best 11 pod and leave us a five star rating. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at my best 11 pod email my best 11 pod at gmail.com. Fantastic. So we're back for part two um, with Nick Owen. So far, um, those people who've got very short memory of about 30 seconds, um, we've got Ron Bainham, uh, James Justin, Matty Taylor, uh, Steve Foster and Paul Futcher. So let's move on to uh, Nick's gone for a 4-2-4. So let's hear about his two midfielders, two central midfielders. Over to you, Nick, in whichever order you prefer. Well, one of these uh, is just about the most popular player who's ever turned out for Luton Town. And the other was also highly popular and very successful. Lots of other clubs. The first, uh, it's going to be so easy for you to get, obviously. Um, he was a star of the team in the 80s when we you know, had our decade in the old first division. He was a star in that team that won the League Cup in 1988. He played for England a few times, should have played more. If he'd been with Manchester United or Arsenal, he would have done and uh, he was just sublimely skillful, a marvellous player, superb touch. And if he was in the team, you always had a chance. Who's it going to be? Ricky Hill. Correct. I mean, just a lovely player. I mean, I'm, I'm sure you're in touch with him. He spent a lot of time in the States, doesn't he, Marv? Yes. I mean, again, another one who's going to, I mean, I've been in touch with, he's going to come on. But I said to Andrew the other day, I don't think we've ever had anyone who's played with Ricky not put him in, in their team in their 11 I'd put him yeah. in my 11 if everyone's he's that he's that good a player Nick that he goes down on the team sheet first name it's on my team sheet first name unbelievable player so annoying that he never played more for England I mean oh. cranky with all ability and it's all to do with being at Luton Town isn't it just drives you mad 100% uh, 100% why are people who select teams so blind why do they only see the, the big teams as it were it's the same in cricket cricket selectors in years gone by. Anyway, they have seen a bit people who played for Surrey, Yorkshire and Middlesex. But anyway, that's another story. So Ricky is an absolute shoe in really. I mean, and the goal he scored in the FA Cup semi-final 1985, 
yeah. wonderful, wonderful goal. Um, and we murdered Everton that day and lost. It's just uh, still heartbreaking today. And one of my boys, who you know, Marv, Andy, my oldest, that semi-final was his first ever football match. He was about six. And uh, so it has special memories for me because of that, and particularly for him, because it was his first game. And uh, we played so well that day. I remember people like Gary Parker were outstanding yeah. that day. Uh, I, 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 I was just coming into the. I when, when was that? I was just yeah. I came into the club in eighty five. In eighty five, in that summer of eighty five, yeah. and literally we obviously as an apprentice then we went to the game and watched the game and like you said, played so so well and Ricky's goal was unbelievable and yeah, yeah and we should have won. We should have won. And the whole end at Villa Park, I think it was all uh, all Luton fans about yeah. twenty thousand. No. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we, we really should have won. Emeka uh, and, and names like, um, or of course, Mick Harford was playing that. It was just a wonderful team. And uh, it was absolutely gutting not to yeah. get to the final. But um, but anyway, Ricky's goal that day was spectacular. And I mean, he played over 400 times for the club. You're not going to get that much these days, are you? Players are not going to play for one club for 400 appearances or more. No. Um, and I think he played for England three times. And he, of course, he was manager for a while. And it's so disappointing because I was so thrilled when he became the manager because of who he was and his background, his closeness to the club. Um, for whatever reason, it didn't seem to work out. Perhaps it was too early in his life. You know, I mean, managers... I've, right I've mentioned right. it on here that the club was going for a little bit of a transition at the time, Nick, way before I think Ricky came in and, and in what he had... To, in my opinion, to work with like players-wise, or what he yeah. was allowed to bring in, we were we were a really young team, and I, I mean, I didn't help matters um, that most by being injured for the majority of the time, as per usual again, but which was disappointing. Because obviously, like I said, yeah. I mean, if there's one person, obviously, you really wanted to make sure that you was going to be available and give a hundred percent for it, would be Ricky Hill, obviously, um, from my point of view, but. Yeah, it was. I think it was more of a. It was again. He was way ahead of his time bringing in. Obviously, like was he? Um, oh, massively, Nick. I'm telling you now. Like he brought in Daley Thompson, right? From you know the famous Daley Thompson, who was gonna. Yes. Yeah, I remember. He was gonna yeah. be like um, our fitness coach, and in he, uh, he was doing. We were doing these certain runs and movements. He was so ahead of his time, Ricky. How he had. Was he? Was he because he because he had a bit of continental influence? Because he, he went to the continent, didn't he? Was yeah, it that? He did, yeah. He did, and well, I think it's just—I mean, again, his knowledge of and his experience of playing, like you said, probably abroad, and he—he he brought in um, um, Chris Ramsey, who's done like—I yeah. mean, he's been fantastic with um since QPR been, yeah, QPR, and and he's still and at Tottenham, he's done great things, Chris. So he had Chris, and he knew obviously what he wanted, Ricky, but I just don't think he had obviously the, the the players or I mean it was very unlucky that I mean like I said he was so ahead of his time in the in the way I think how he wanted to do things it just didn't, didn't work out because I think the club was going through a bit of a transition yeah and I think managers do need time I mean how many do you get yes. about four months uh I can't remember people do panic quickly don't they yeah you've got to stick managers if you can but who are we to dictate but uh, that, that's what I think but at the time you know as a fan you think oh gosh do we need a new manager can't Ricky do it and all that but I so wanted him to do it I love yeah. the man still do well, wonderful wonderful player yeah. and they've got a special uh, place in the hearts of um, my kids because he was so part much part of their early watching of Luton Town right right the other midfielder okay let's go have we got another flair player Oh, yeah. Uh, he was part of a team that won promotion from the fourth division in 1968. 
again, um, that team which had Terry Branston and a few others, uh, when we were turning the corner, having dropped all the way down from top to bottom, and we are coming back and we won the fourth division title in phenomenal style, with then a record number of points, 66 points, when it was only two points for a win. Um, and this guy scored something like 24 goals from midfield. 24 <laughs> goals from midfield. Um, he was just a, a wonderful player, all action, tough tackler, but he was an attacking midfielder with a stunning left foot. And I've seen him score some brilliant goals from, you know, 30 yards out, as well as brilliant goals when he runs the length of the pitch and beats about three people and puts it home around the goalkeeper, you know. Uh, we used to say he should play for England. And we used to sing a song calling on Sir Alf Ramsey to pick this boy. And he ended up playing for Scotland and became captain of Scotland. Who am I talking Bruce, about? Bruce Rio? Yeah. Yeah. Bruce Rio. <laughs> Yeah. Bruce Rio, wonderful, wonderful player for us and uh, essentially a local lad. I mean, he was born in London, I think, but he grew up in and he came to Luton as a kid. And he was just fantastic, came through the, you know, the various youth schemes there were in those days. And um, yeah, he was a very, very exciting player. Um, and as uh, I say, got a thunderbolt shot and the goal that won us promotion um, was Halifax away. That was a free kick from about 30 yards. Typical of him. It really was typical of him. And when he, um, I mean, everyone was after him and Aston Villa signed him in the end. And um, I was at home in Berkhamstead and I was going out uh, for a night out with a group of friends. Um, and I was just driving up the road away from our house and went past the local news agent. And there was a big newspaper sort of headline thing, you know, one of those sort of things written out to encourage you to buy the paper. And it said, Rioch Brothers sold to Villa. And I was so upset, I couldn't go out. I went home, stayed in. That's how much it meant to me. And still does all that sort of thing. He went to Villa for £100,000. A lot of money in the late 60s. A lot yeah. of money. Uh, and his brother, Neil, who I still see occasionally, went for 10000 He was still in the youth team or the reserves. But, um, yeah, Bruce was a, a wonderful player. Played about 140, 50 times for us was a star at Aston Villa. I mean, he went from us to a lower division in the third division, I think. But he was part of the team that won promotion from the third up to the second, up to the top of life, played in League Cup finals, went on to Derby and Everton and managed Arsenal and Bolton. So he had a, an illustrious career, but he was a very, very exciting player. So he is part of my two-man midfield, Bruce Rioch and Ricky Hill. Any Luton fan of any age, you know, my age group particularly, will think that's a very, very exciting midfield, but they're a bit worried there's only two of them. <laughs> They complement each other really because I mean I, I mean I don't I don't remember seeing obviously Bruce playing but like you said he was a tough tackler and I, I think his son mm. Greg Greg came to um, came up was an apprentice yeah. at the club Greg Rioch was a um, yeah. or, um was an apprentice yeah. but he was tough like Bruce Rioch was like a a bit of a like maybe in the the soonest mold like Graham yeah. soonest mold yes like Absolutely. that sort of like. Yeah player who would like leave one on you you go for the ball don't, don't get me wrong you go for the ball but if you so happen to be in the way of that ball as well you you, yeah. you might come off a little bit worse for wear yeah no he was a, a very very tough player um and very skillful and very quick you know i've seen him run the length of the field you know running around people and banging in the net great great player to watch and really part of the team that won that 68 um promotion which was the first time for me as a Luton fan, I'd experienced success because when I first started supporting us, we were in the old first division. We got to the cup final, but lost it. A year later, we were relegated. 
Two years later, we were relegated again. About a year or two later, we were relegated once more. So we went from the first division to fourth division from 1960 to 1965. Not great. And then, you know, the, the, the relaunch started under manager Alan Brown, ex-player, and Bruce Rio got the hub of it. So that's my midfield. 68 was the year I was born, Nick. Which was, 68? Yeah, that was the year I was born. Oh, yeah, I remember reading it in the papers now. Yeah. <laughs> Cheers. G&T, old son. <laughs> I have to mention. A bit early for Andrew to have a gin and tonic. Hmm? <laughs> I have, to, I have to mention, apart from yourself, obviously being of um, a, a big celebrity who supports Luton Town, um, I do believe you had the the honour, well, not only just to meet, but obviously to interview. I believe um, a great comedian who who was a, a massive supporter of Luton Town, Mister Eric Morecambe, I believe. Oh God, yeah, the iconic Luton supporter, yes. the most famous supporter of all time and ever will be um yeah i mean he is my hero he really is i've got a little statue of him on my mantelpiece in my living room uh, there's a big big statue as you probably know on morecambe seafront um huge thing bigger than life size and the guy who did it did me a miniature version and i've got it on my mantelpiece really? yeah um how, it, how do you know how is it how is it it was luton why how come luton how come he chose luton do you know that the story well yeah oh yes um he uh i mean he was born in the north then he became very successful ultimately uh, as a comedian on television with ernie wise and uh the family settled in harpenden it's as simple as that six miles down the road and uh he loved his football and his son gary who i see a lot of now and in contact with all the time he's a very good friend gary got into football and said dad i want to go to a football match and he said where should we go well luton town are at home down the road and they went and they were hooked and you know a couple of years later eric was asked to be on the board as a sort of you know a front man a pr man and um it was wonderful for the image of the club and it's still to this day is wonderful oh. for the image of the club. and if ever you happen to see an old morecambe and wise show um, you're quite likely to see him standing there with a sort of sign saying Luton FC. Or yeah, it's the, famous, it's the famous Roman one, isn't it? I think the Roman yes. one is probably the most famous one of all. Yeah, There was SPQR on one side, Sonatus Populus Qui Romanus, turn it round, it says Luton FC. Uh, and I seem to remember Glenda Jackson pulled up her dress once and she had a rosette around her sort of thigh. Uh, lots of little things like that. Brilliant, absolutely fantastic, wonderful PR for a club to have someone like that. Um, as as a sort of um, you know just an iconic yeah. uh, ambassador really and so yeah and um, yeah I interviewed him um, a couple of times actually but the one I most remember was on Breakfast Television TVAM about 1984 um, and uh, we'd actually played West Ham the night before and so I knew he wasn't at the game. I was just, you know, with the fans on terraces, but uh, I got a programme and handed it to him on the show. I said, Eric, I know you weren't able to get to the West Ham game last night, so I brought you this programme. He said, oh, thanks very much. I'll treasure that. Threw it over his shoulder and landed on a rubber, rubber plant at the back of the set. Uh, and it, it was just a gag a minute. You know, one I was presented the programme with John Stapleton that day. And um, at one stage we said to Eric, it's great to have you here. Can you stay on the sofa for a bit longer? He said, stay? I could marry you. And all this sort of thing. It, it was just, and we we're talking about his children. He said, "How many?" He said, uh, "I've got three, but mind you, I left home quite early, so I might have more now." You know, it was, it was just all the time gagging. Right. But it is also very poignant because um, we talked about his health. He's had a lot of heart trouble over the years. You know, he had a, a major heart attack in the nineteen sixties, and he had bypass surgery, which is quite uh, pioneering in the late seventies. 
um, when he came to us, it was 1984, and he said, you know, I'm so lucky that I had this pioneering surgery and I still feel as fit as anything. And he looked brilliant. And sadly, 40 days later, he died. Um, that was his last television appearance. So I have such mixed memories of it. I'm proud yeah. to have done it. I loved getting to know him a bit. Um, but it's very, very sad because it was his yeah. last appearance. You know how old he was when he died? 58. Oh. I mean, that is nothing. 58. 1984, it's a long time ago, yet he was voted the funniest man of the 20th century and still, I would think, get a lot of votes now in the 21st century because Morecambe Wise shows are on telly all the time and repeats and things, aren't they? Absolute legend to me. I love the man and uh, I'm a bit of a student of him. (laughs) Absolutely, yeah, definitely. Definitely, I think he'd approve of most of your players so far. Let's see if he keeps going with approval, do you think? Yeah, well, do you want to go to the forward line then? Yeah, let's go, let's go. Right, well, this first one is a real enigma. Again, it's going to be before your time, I fear. But um, I think for I'm me... Though. I oh, think God. I it. Keep it quiet, Marvin. <laughs> I'm going to say nothing. I'm not saying nothing. He's one of the most skillful players I've ever seen in my life. And it's absolute tragedy that he didn't play at the very top end because he was that good. John Moore, Luton legend, once told me he was the best footballer he had ever seen and certainly the best he'd ever played with. And this guy only played for us in the third and fourth division. Um, And in September 68, he scored the greatest goal I've ever seen in my life. And I think most Luton fans who were there that day will say it's the best goal they ever saw. It was a a really crunch game against Mansfield, who were second in the old third division, and we were top. And we'd only just been promoted. Um, And we were under pressure because Bruce Rio got sent off in the third minute played with 10 men for much of the game before Mansfield had someone sent off later. And this guy, when the game was still in the balance, picked up the ball in his own box at the Oak Road end and proceeded to run the length of the field round player after player after player. No one could believe it. Everyone was expecting him to lay it off. He kept going, rounded the keeper and thumped it into the net of the kennel. The greatest goal I've ever seen. Not televised, therefore there's no record of it. But as I say, anyone who's there that day will probably say it's the best goal they've ever seen. And he is. Is, 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 this, is this a winger? Yeah. Is his name, I don't think I might get it wrong, John Ryan? No? No. Graham oh, French. Graham French. Oh. You heard of Graham French? Yes, I've yeah. heard of him, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely wonderful player. I mean, that goal was absolutely breathtaking, jaw dropping, awesome. Every adjective you would think of. Quite brilliant. I think he took part in two promotions for us. Uh, and then, you know, at the height of his powers, um, he, he got convicted of shooting someone in a pub in Luton and went to prison for three years. And so he was never the same again. When he came out, he did try to resurrect his career. He did play for us, but, you know, it had gone, really. And so it's very, very sad. But he was nearly signed for Chelsea before he joined us. Tommy Doherty was interested in him, and he was persuaded that he wasn't the right sort of character. And so he didn't sign him for Chelsea, who were then in the first division, the old first division. So he never achieved what his magnificent talents deserved. But he was a wonderful player. And, you know, one of the things that saddens me is that I know he's around today. I think he even lives in the Midlands. So he's probably within 30 miles of where I am now. But no one knows where he is. No one knows if he's okay. Because I tell you, Luton fans of a certain age would love to see him back there and make a fuss of him. He was an amazing player. Absolutely. I mean, again, I've, I've heard of the name. And like you said, I mean, great things, done great things with the ball. And like you said, it's a shame that no one knows where he is. Because again, yeah. like you're saying, there's people who would know of him and seen him, like you're similar to yourself, yeah. who 
would love to have someone like that in and around the club. Yeah, the thing is, um, he did much later play for Southport under an assumed name, which sort of indicates that he didn't want to be tracked down again. See what I mean? After what happened. So he might not even be called Graham French now. I just don't know. But the memory of that warm September night against Mansfield, a game we won 4-2 in the end, is, you know, still with me really vividly because of that incredible goal. And, you know, people who played with him, uh, including John Moore, as I've said, but others will all say phenomenal ability. What a waste. Pity, really. For John Moore to say that. Hmm? No, he's the first one in my forward line anyway. Oh, was he the first one you penned? Or was he was he the first name no, you put there? No hesitation whatsoever. He was the main, main man. Absolutely brilliant football. But, we, you know, we did have some great wingers in our time. Johnny Aston, Jimmy Ryan, you know, they were terrific players in the day. Billy Bingham, one of my first heroes. Uh, another survivor of the FA Cup final side of 1959, who, um, you know, I interviewed many times when I was doing ITV Sport because he became manager of Northern Ireland. So um, he's a real hero to me and he could easily have been in the team. But you just have to bring it down to 11, as you know, and it's very difficult. But Billy Bingham was a, a terrific player. And as I say, Jimmy Ryan and Johnny Aston. Um, Aston on his day was a magnificent player. Um, so it was... That's, that's who I got. Sorry, I got confused. That's who I was trying to think of when I said John Ryan. And after Jimmy, 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 Jimmy yeah. managed. Jimmy was at the club. Jimmy managed me, and um, I played yeah. with Jimmy in the first. But it was John Ashton I was trying to think of who I've heard. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. great thing. Right, you want to go into the middle now? Let's now, go, into the, really, go into the middle. Yes. Yeah, in my front four, I've got one winger, which is obviously. Graham French um, in the middle and, and my, my left winger or sort of the guy who's going to be left-sided is also really a number nine so it's a bit difficult but I just couldn't leave these people out right so the next person well he is a very spare really he scored two goals in the League Cup final in 1988 so I mean crikey you know who I'm talking about immediately David Pleat said he was the best taker of chances he'd ever seen I think the best finisher he is a wonderfully skillful player um, played, what, 400 times for us and scored 130 goals in two spells. Um, and I remember one day when I was uh, at a Luton game, a first team game, and I was in the sort of, you know, uh, hospitality area afterwards and Harry Haslam, then manager, came in and was chatting to people like me because I was sort of a press person. And uh, David Pleat was in charge of the reserves, came back from a game he'd been in charge of. And he said, Harry, this guy playing for the reserves, is outstanding. He is going to be some player. He raved about this guy. So I really remember this guy. And who was he? Mark? Brian Steen. Bruno Steen. Brian Steen. My goodness. I saw his debut, you know, uh, for us. Amazingly, it was in the League Cup. It was at Old Trafford against Manchester City because we played Manchester City in the League Cup and we drew home and away. And so the third game had to be on a neutral venue and it was at Old Trafford. And that was his debut. And he was you could see he was a terrific player. He wasn't sort of fully up to speed and he was easily knocked off the ball and he was a bit, I don't know, um, not, not bulky enough. Do you know what I mean? He hadn't bulked a up. Bit lightweight. A bit lightweight. Yeah. Yes. While I'm talking to you, my wife has gone out onto our patio with a notice at the window saying, can we eat at 7.45? <laughs> He's got the dinner oh. on. <laughs> what was he doing, Vicky? Does she, she not know you come? Out there in the snow. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, so um, I, I remember so much about Brian Steen, obviously, um, but you, you have to, you, you can't 
turn away from the 1988 League Cup final against Arsenal. He was electric that day. And to score the winner with virtually the last kick of the game, I mean, folklore, isn't it? A wonderful no, you... day. Absolutely magnificent day for a Luton fan or anyone connected. You were there, weren't you? You were on the pitch, Yeah, you? I mean, you, you, couldn't, you couldn't write that. I mean... Again, I mean, I played, I think, a couple of games. I think we played, we played Leeds on the way. I mean, on the way to the final. I mean, and I mean, I was very young, and back then, then he had um, two subs uh, were on the bench. Yeah. So um, Ashley Grimes and Mark Steen were the subs on the day, and I was obviously in the squad alongside a couple of the young lads. And Kingsley Black obviously played in the game, yes. which was a little bit, yeah. uh, was a big surprise to a lot of people and stuff. And or old Darren McDonough got injured, didn't he? Yeah. Well, I mean. I don't know if you listen to Kingsley's um, um, podcast here. I mean, he it was from a, probably about a week earlier than because he had been playing the team, and he said that um, Ray had said to him, "Oh, look, I'm going to leave you out." This is the week before, and Kingsley's head's thinking about, "Well, that means I'm not going to be involved, obviously, in the game next week in the final." So he said it, it was probably a masterstroke by Ray because he probably had it in the back of his mind to play Kingsley, but didn't want to get him all too nervous and stuff, and so. Um, yeah, he got the man of the match. Me, Kings, he got the man of the match, and poor yeah. um, Arsenal to shred that day was was outstanding. Yeah. And like I said, it was a massive day for the club, and it was great to be part of the the squad and be involved in the build up and and the Ooh. and the, what went on. Yeah, it was tremendous. Yeah, absolutely. Greatest sporting day in my life, I think, I have to say. I mean, there have been some great days here and there, and things I I really cherish, but that has to be. Um, the the very greatest, and alongside him is someone who's also uh, a, a treasured a treasured sort of hero at Luton Town Football Club, and I think was voted the favourite player of all time by Luton Town fans who played alongside Brian Steen. So I think it's quite easy to guess who this guy is. Go on, yes, Big, Big Mick Arford. Big Mick. I mean, yeah, yeah. it's not just his uh, footballing ability, which was immense because he's just been so much more, hasn't he? He's been involved with yeah. the club so much over the years in a coaching managerial, assistant managerial and scouting uh, capacity. Yeah. And he's just an absolute, you know, legend of the club. And I know it's sort of, you know, a bit of a cliche, but he is the legend of all legends, I would say. Um, and he played a couple of times for England. Who knows, you know, if he'd been with another club, whether he'd done better. But he sort of had that sort of charisma, that menace about him, real determination. Um, he posed such a threat in the box, didn't he? Nightmare yeah. for people to think so would. No, and he had flair and he's sort of imperious out there. He was just such a present. And of course, he was um, manager at our toughest time, wasn't he, really, when we dropped yeah. out of the football league. I fancy having to manage a club that starts on minus 30. Um, and he was a great guy for it. He couldn't keep us up. How many would have been able to? I mean, it's just an impossible job. Um, and, but he's still at the club and it's wonderful. And he did a brilliant job last season, or two seasons ago now, getting us up to the championship when he took over, as you know, mid-season. Um, he's just an inspirational figure. I absolutely love the man. Uh, I wish he'd played more for, for England. And of course, he won the JP trophy, didn't he? The Johnson yeah. Payne trophy. Yeah, he did. And that was, I mean, for my younger children, that was the greatest day in their lives because they weren't around when we won, you know, or weren't bothered when we won the League yeah. Cup and things like that. So the JPT with 42,000 Luton fans there and Mick Harford leading us out to win that game. Uh, brilliant. I mean, you, you've got to take that as a moment in time. Of you course. forget the fact that two weeks later we dropped out of the That moment in time was spectacular. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah. So, yeah, Mick is the most, uh, one of the easier pick, as you've seen. Well, they all are for me, but 
So, so of course, around, around that time, around that time, you would sorry, just go back. You were talking about the JPT trophy, and, and yeah, um, obviously, twenty twenty had taken over about eighteen months. I'm getting confused with time and things yeah. like that. Um, about eighteen months before, and you, of course, um, became the the kind of the, the chairman and such of the club yeah. and the focal point of the club. Um, yeah, how did that come about? Uh, obviously, through twenty twenty, because I know you've been in and around the club before then, but to be named as kind of like the, the, the chairman. Um, as such, how did that come about, and what did it, what was it first like? All, let me, yeah, I mean, let me tell you. First of all, it is something I'm so proud of and so honoured by. Privilege. I was contacted by one of the original group, a guy called Anthony Brown, who is a great mate of mine, and he said we're forming a, a group to try and save the club and getting local supporters who've got a little bit of money together, you know, to try and you know save the club and take it over and be run by Luton Town fans. And he said, we just need a sort of figurehead. Would you be prepared to be the figurehead? Because uh, I don't have any cash. I'm not in the sort of businessman league remotely, you know. Um, and I said, I'm, I would love to, but I'm not sure I could because I'm a newsman at the BBC. And, you know, you're not really meant to attach your colours to anything in my job. I mean, I couldn't wear a badge of a charity on air or do anything like that. And at the time, I was presenting the regional TV programme in the Midlands from Birmingham. So if it had been Aston Villa, I couldn't have done it because we're talking about Aston Villa and Wolves and West Brom and Coventry and Walsall all the time, you know. So um, I couldn't be known to have a bias. But because it was a team out of the Midlands, um, the BBC, and it went right to the top, right to the top, said, yeah, you can do it, but you cannot hire and fire. You can be a figurehead, you can do interviews and do all that sort of stuff, which is sort of what I did, um, but you can't hire and fire. So I was a non-exec chairman and really a figurehead. And at a time like that, I like to think, it, you know, it was quite an important job because it got us lots of publicity. And um, I did loads of interviews and features and things about my love of Luton Town. And it all promoted Luton Town at a time uh, a very sad time in the club's history. So I'm very proud to be part of it, proud to be part of the rebirth and the start of our climb back up. But after nine years or so of doing it, I felt, you know, we we're moving into sort of more um, serious business waters. And it was difficult for me. So I lived two and a half hours away from the ground. Uh, it was difficult to be involved anymore. So I stood down and my very close friend, David Wilkinson took over, which is uh, fantastic as well. Um, but it's something I'm very proud of. I can't believe that this little boy who started watching Luton in short trousers ended up as chairman. I'm very proud of him. Excellent. Fantastic. Um, so uh, you, you say that was that was kind of one of the, the proudest moments as a fan or as a, would you say that's um, probably one of, the fam- one of the proudest moments for you as a fan? Um, yeah, I mean, as a fan, I, I feel very proud reflecting on that um, in my overall support of the club. Uh, specifically, my proudest moment is, is 1988, the League Cup final and the Johnson's yeah. paint, actually. Um, and just sort of being part of the team that helped to see the uh, rebirth of Luton Town. Uh, so it is a privilege to have been associated and to, to written in the programme and put my thoughts down and, and reflected on everything about the club. Because I just love that club and I just think about them all the time. <laughs> Fantastic. So we'll move on to your last player then. Let's yeah. let's see if we can all all guess this. Now, I've got a few names in my mind. I'm sure Marv has. One, yeah, I'm one, sure. one, one name. Basically, I've as well got, I've got one name in my mind, but we'll see how we go. <laughs> Don't forget... Square pegs, round holes. Remember that. This bloke is not a left wing, but he's got a left foot. He's got a phenomenal left foot. And he's got an ability. 
defend if necessary because he started as a fullback. Yeah, he is a striker who'd got Where am I a thunderous, thunderous. The fullback things confuse me. No, no, he was a fullback at Fulham. Yeah, when we yeah. find him, and yeah. Alex Stock, I think it was Alex Stock, said, "I'm going to put you up front, <laughs> see how you get on," because he had terrific pace. And he was a revelation. He hasn't got it. He hasn't got it. He hasn't got it. And he scored 49 goals for us in 88 appearances. 49 in 88. Phenomenal. Um, and, he played for England. and in one England game, <laughs> he scored all five England goals in one game in a European qualifier. And he's also part of the most exciting game I ever watched. So who is it, Andrew? I assume it's Malky McDonald. Yes. yes. Right, I, I, right, good. I'm glad. I, I never knew he started as a fullback. I never Correct. knew yeah. that. Wow. Yeah, he turned him into a striker. So I'm not an awful Luton fan. I do know Malcolm McDonald, by the way. I just didn't. Yeah. I didn't know he started as a yeah. fullback. Yeah. <laughs> so this is uh, an unbelievable forward line, really. And if, if they get the ball enough, they'll score a lot of goals. <laughs> um, but yeah, he was a brilliant player and, and so he had thrilling pace. Uh, and one particular game I remember when we had been promoted from Division Three into Division Two. Uh, and we were about to play Sheffield Wednesday, who had just been relegated from Division One. So it's a big game for us. You know, we're sort of in the big time again. You know, our last game in the previous division was Mansfield away. We drew it nil-nil to win promotion. And now we are into the, you know, what is now the championship. And we're playing a team that had just dropped down from what is now the Premier League. Sheffield Wednesday away. I was working in Yorkshire at the time. So it was just down the road for me. And I went to this game full of trepidation. Um, and we beat them 5-1 at Hillsborough. Unbelievable game. This is October 1970. And Malcolm McDonnell and Don Givens, who is another very much a favourite player of mine and a close friend. I see him a lot these days socially. He's a big buddy. Um, they absolutely ripped him apart. And it was unbelievable. And Sheffield Wednesday fans, who were fed up enough because they were in a lower division, having just been relegated, were throwing their cushions on the pitch and everything on the pitch. It was almost a riot. And we were superb that day. So that particular game is is my most exciting game as a Luton fan, just because we were so supreme in that sense. Um, but Malcolm McDonald himself was a very, very exciting player for us over a couple of years, scored bags full of goals, goal after goal after goal. And he had the longest throw. He could throw right onto the centre, the penalty spot. You know, this throwing that was a really dangerous weapon at times. Um, sadly, you know, we couldn't hold on to him. Newcastle coveted him for a long time, and in the end, they bought him for 180,000, which was a lot of money. And uh, shattered to see him go. And on his debut for Newcastle against Liverpool at St James's Park, he scored a hat trick, mighty Liverpool 3 1, 3 2, or something like that. Malcolm McDonald was immediately a god on Tyneside, and he's still a god on Tyneside, yeah. still living. Last time we were up there in the FA Cup, I met up with him for a drink for the game and things like that. Legend. All this lot of legends. And, uh, oh, he, fantastic. Yeah. You know, he's, he's left-sided, so he could probably get away with playing on the left side with Harper and Steele and Graham French on the other side. He played with Graham French, incidentally. And he will tell you that Graham French was an unbelievable player, even though Graham would sometimes turn up for training, having not been to bed all night, and with his whippets, which he liked to walk around the training ground. <laughs> well, I mean, not a lot of people would, I mean... The younger people would know that Malcolm McDonald played for Luton. I mean, growing up, yeah. I'm when I'm watching, I'm Arsenal. seeing Arsenal, Luke, uh, Arsenal. I've seen it, and it wasn't until I joined Luton, and I'm thinking, is that the same yeah. Malcolm? Uh, is that the same Malcolm? Yeah. And I thought, wow, unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very spectacular player. 
So that's my team. And, and, and amongst wow. the subs would be Les Seeley, Don Gibbons, you know, Kirk Stevens, Mal Donaghy, David Priest, Paul Walsh, what a player. Johnny Aston, oh, the Ryan, yeah. Don Ryan, Alan West, fabulous player. Brian Horton, um, Steve Howard, Andre Gray. I mean, he only played for us in the um, the conference, but he's played in the Premiership since and Premier League since, and he's an absolute sensational pace. Uh, Gordon Turner scored 276 yes. goals for us. I saw him play, but not enough to put him in my team, but he's clearly a very special player. And Bob Morton, I mean, record uh, appearances for us, about 500 appearances for Luke Town. I met his widow not that long ago. Uh, and Marvin Johnson. So that's going to be one of my first questions, Nick. I mean, and I'm very thick-skinned, you know I am. So listen, be totally honest. So when this boy Johnson first came into the team, what? and you was obviously seen the first time that I played, what was, what was your thoughts? Oh, I loved watching you. You were very athletic, very quick, very determined, good in the tackle. Sometimes when you cleared the ball, I thought it's like you were cooking, kicking a threatening bit because it went... <laughs> <laughs> but no, you're a terrific player. And I loved it when you occasionally burst through from defence to, to have a crack, yes. you know. No, I mean, you, I mean, you're a legend, Marvin, because you were there at the club for so long and you were captain and so on. And, um, you know, people absolutely love you in so many ways because everything about you, you know, your whole personality, your whole charisma, the whole presence. Thank you, Nick. There's some, there's some nice, nice words there. Um, I, I mean, again, it's not until you have a, a career and you look back and I realised how fortunate I was to play in the, the top division. You know, and at the time when you're, you're going up, and it was the first division back then, and obviously it's the English Premier League now. Back then, it, it was, all I knew was Luton in the top division. So playing against the Arsenal, the Chelsea's, the Man United, it was just mm. the norm for me. And then I look back now, look, my gosh, I mean, from, if Luton played now Man United or Chelsea, or, they're looking to swap shirts if it wasn't for the pandemic. I'm sure they would have swapped exactly. shirts and all stuff like so that. I hope. I hope, Marvin, that that tells you what a good player you must have been to be playing in that sort of company. Yes. I mean, I mean yes. some, yes. some of the players I've picked today only played for us in the fourth division or the third division or the lower divisions, you know? Mm. You played right. in the top club. So, uh, you know, it's just remember that to yourself, that you yeah. played in the absolute supreme company in one of the best, if not the best, leagues in the world. True. Can never true. that away. No, that's true. No, you're right. You're right. So who, who Nick, would you pick to lead this band of yeah. merry men? Yeah. Who, would, who would be your, your best manager you've ever seen sit in a dugout for Luton? Yeah. Right. Well, um, one candidate who isn't my final choice. <laughs> my missus is looking at the window again. <laughs> uh, one candidate would be John Still because of what he achieved in turning the club around. He changed the whole psyche the whole atmosphere, the whole feeling at the club. It was some um, evil somehow. There was a lot of bad feeling at the club. It was toxic, that's the word, toxic. And he turned that round and made it a happy club where we all pulled together. So that was very important, very, very important. And he got us out of the conference. But the, the manager has to be the guy for me, the guy who uh, got us into the top flight and kept us there for a best part of a decade and created the team that won the League Cup. He wasn't manager at the time, but he created it, mostly. Uh, and is still synonymous with Luton Town Football Club. A lovely man who I spoke to only last week. He played for us. I saw him play for us as a you know a youngster. Broke his leg and could have done a lot better. Who knows? Because he was a very very good winger. Um, and who do you think that is? David Pleat. Correct. Without question. 
Outstanding. Absolutely outstanding. So which time, which time do you remember better? The first or second time around? I mean, he came back again as well. Well, for David. It's only twice, yeah. No, the first time. First time. When he stopped us getting relegated from Division 2 and then ultimately won Division 2 and got us into Division and then kept us there and created a lovely team. Bought some terrific players like Steve Foster, like Mick Harper, like Paul Nicholas, you know, like Mal Donegan. You know, there are loads of really good players he brought in. Um, all credit Paul Walsh brought yes. steam through, you know yeah, fantastic fantastic and, and of course um, you obviously would have spent a lot of time with David Pleat you said you, you spoke to him last week mm-hmm. um, what, what's um, what's his memories of um, the club do you what, what is he still I know he's, he still commentates on TV quite a bit even in Australia I still hear his commentary uh, do you yeah. When, yeah when he still does Champions League quite a bit and things like that so I know he's got a bit of fondness for Tottenham as well um, yeah yeah uh, Luton is is his club, really. He lives in Luton, as you probably know, and he goes to games occasionally. He went to a game only a couple of weeks ago, um, and so he, you know, that is his his first love, without question. Um, he, he's he's a, a really nice man, a really sensitive man, a really thinking man, and uh, he was sort of ahead of his time, I think, in many ways. Yeah, the way he played the game. Um, I, I'm not an expert on that sort of thing, so I can't really talk about it. But he always felt like that, and I'll never forget one time. When uh, I ended up sitting next to him in the main stand on the night of the riots against Millwall, horrible night, if you remember, 1985, six-round FA Cup, and we beat them 1-0, and Millwall fans went bonkers and ripped the seats up and set fire to things. I think David probably was sitting in the stand as manager because he wanted to get away from the trouble. I was sitting next to him. I was doing breakfast telly at the time, and I was chatting to him. And he was really distressed, really distressed about what had happened. And uh, I said, well, on the bright side, we are in the semi-final of the FA Cup. Try and hold that thought as well. He said, yeah, but this is just so awful. And I said, well, good night. And I said, good night to him. And that was it. The next morning, I was on duty on TVAM, breakfast TV sofa. And I got to the studio about 3.45, as usual. And what did I find? Top story of the day was the riots at Luton. Who was my main guest? I was interviewing live on the sofa at 8 o'clock. David Pleat. So that means say goodnight to him at half ten the night before. I was back with him at eight o'clock in the morning. Amazing. <laughs> Dear old David. Oh, fantastic man. Fantastic man. Um, Marv, always your question. Last question. Yeah, I mean, I think most of us know it anyway. Um, well, maybe not. Well, you have mentioned it. Your most favourite and memorable game, Luton, ever for you? Oh, One game. So One game. I think... I mentioned the Sheffield Wednesday win, 5-1 away, but I think because of the great goal that was scored, it has to be that Mansfield night. Really? Mansfield oh, I thought they were gone for the, for the, the, the Littlewoods Cup final, I thought, because you spoke quite passionate about that. Yeah, well, yeah, as well. I mean, what do you say? Um, that was spectacular. But I, I can't pick one. Yeah, the League Cup final. Yeah. The League oh, Cup final. He's, he's sitting obvious. on the fence. He's sitting on the yeah. fence. He, I'm gonna go, come on, you can't beat, you're not a politician. You've got to pick one. one. Everybody has All picked right, one game. All right. League, all right, it's got to be the League Cup final because it's the moment we won a major trophy. So, yeah, let's go for it. The major League trophy. Cup. Yeah. And, and if you could just... So, where were you sat for that game? Were you with the executives or were you sat in no, the, no, no, with the fans? The family. family and friends yes. in the main stand. Which made it more special. Row of ten of us, yeah. Did that make it Brilliant. more special? Obviously, for the JPT, yes. you were up in the other boxes area. Yeah, I was. No, it was, it was um, so many brilliant memories. But I suppose, yeah, you're right. The League Cup finally, it. And it was, it was lovely being with the family and seeing the emotions, especially kids. 
Nick, we uh, we appreciate you giving up your time and tell Vicky that we hope she's not burnt the dinner and we, we, we uh, <laughs> it was close. It was close, but like, listen. Yeah. <laughs> so, Great to listen, talk to you. Thank you so thank much, you. Nick. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much, Nick Owen. And that was Nick Owen's My Best 11. Thanks, Nick.